Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we are here, and we are here for you. Remind us all over again that that is true. God, we confess that we are coming in with so many other pursuits in our minds, so many other prerogatives that have shaped our days, and yet this is a day where we have gathered to say, more than anything else, God, we want to hear from you. And so we thank you for who you are. God, you are a speaking God. You are a God who loves to draw close to your people, to give a word that is personal and specific to each man, woman, and child in this room. That's what you have always done. It is what you love to do. And so, God, I pray that what you would do right now by your spirit is that you would give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are soft enough to receive and to respond to all that is that you have to say. And God, please answer this prayer. Help me get out of the way. Help me get out of your way as you try to speak to your people through your word. And so please, God, be honored in this time. Speak, Lord. Your people are listening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What's true for you and for me each of our days is that we are flooded by voices, inundated. There's an onslaught of words trying to vie for pole position in your heads and in your hearts, whether it's podcasts, audiobooks, newsreels, or TV shows. You may be a Tim Keller type or a Wayne Grudem sort. You may love to listen to Beth Moore or the Jackie Hill Perrys. Maybe it's the, the Tucker Carlson's or the Chris Wallace's. Maybe you stay up late at night. Maybe it's the Stephen Colbert's or the James Corden's of the world that you listen to, or maybe you need some melody to the things you hear. Maybe it's Taylor Swift or The Weeknd that fills your ears each day. Whoever it is, whatever voice is vying for position in your mind, my question for you this morning is, what is the soundtrack playing over your days? Who have you given space, given room to have voice in your life. What's true in spite of the fact that we all listen to lots of voices is this single truth. There is one voice, one voice that is most influential, that informs your behavior, your emotions, your perspective most. There is one voice, and Shel Silverstein puts it this way. There is a voice inside of you that whispers all day long, I feel that this is right for me. Well, I know that this is wrong. And no teacher, preacher, parent, friend, or wise man can decide what's right for you. Just listen to the voice that speaks inside. What Old Shell Silverstein is trying to articulate is there is a voice that dictates your mode, your disposition, the way you experience each day and everything that happens to you more than any other voice, and it's the voice that whispers between your ears all the day long. You know it. It's your inner voice. Seven Road, we have been in a series for several weeks, essentially challenging you to be a people, to be a person that holds the pose of waiting on God, waiting for Him, to be listening to Him, to be speaking to Him, to be engaging in such a way where you are trusting Him enough to just wait right there, hold that pose. He's worthy of your trust. And what we're going to find in today's psalm, today's passage is this. 
wait on God in silence and wait on him alone because waiting on God that way is to wage war for your inner voice. To wait on God in silence for him alone is to wage war for your inner voice. The whispers that happen all throughout your day, all through the course of the night, between your ears, your inner voice. We're going to be a people today who learn how to wage war to secure it. How are we feeling about that? We feel good about that? One person is convinced that it's a good idea. (laughs) Nobody else. Thanks, Rob. In spite of what everybody else is excited about or not excited about, we're going to go anyway. So look in your text. Look at the text only in verse 1. Psalm 62, verse 1 reads this. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. I want to pause here. I want to pause and I want us to recognize what David is doing. He's penning the psalm and he's essentially saying, first things first. We're going to wait for God and God alone. He gets the first word. His voice is preeminent. His voice is what matters. His words are the words that I need to hear first and foremost. He needs to know before anything else who is God and what has he said. What is true about him? What has he spoken? And because David is committed to that, he begins to remember things that God has said, remember things that are true. For God alone, my soul waits in silence, and from him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock. That is a phrase that is used sporadically, often throughout the scriptures. To, to call God your rock, I, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of God is my rock. What comes into the mind of David and of the ancient Hebrews is thinking about Moses who had the audacity to look at God and say, show me your glory. I want to see it all. And God hides him away in the cleft of a rock and says, you can't handle it all, but I will protect you and walk by you. Or it's Elijah that comes to mind for David. Elijah needs nothing more than to know that God is still with him. So God puts him in the cleft of a rock, a hiding place, tucks him right there, and he goes by in the form of an earthquake, of a whirlwind, of a fire. To protect him, he's hiding right there in a rock. You see, when the scriptures talk about God as a rock, that means your hiding place, a place where you can feel safe immediately. Not only that, David is, again, rehearsing things that God has said to him, things that are true about God. He says, he is my salvation. That is a word that simply means he is my help. When I am in trouble, he's the one I turn to. When I'm in dire situations, he's the one I call. He is my deliverer, my rescuer. He is my help. You see, see, it's a building, a crescendoing of what David is remembering about who his God is. He is my hiding place, and he is my help in time of trouble, and he is my fortress. See, in David's day and age, fortresses were hard to come by. There weren't many of them. You had to find some high ground. You had to spend years and tons of resources, lots of labor labor to build up a fortress. This was to be a place for you and for your people to have lasting hope through the ages. That's a fortress. So you feel the buildup of David, of God is my rock, my hiding place immediately. He's also my help when I'm in trouble, and he's also my lasting hope that, that durations through the ages. He is that for me. That's who he said he is. You see, God, David is rehearsing over his own heart. 
First things first, who is God? What has he said? Now, as I've asked you to consider, what are the voices that you allow to flood your mind? I'm curious, which voice gets, gets the pole position of first? When you wake up in the morning, you rub your eyes, you roll over, what is the first voice you choose to listen to? For some of us in the room, I, I'm assuming it's that demanding boss because you are immediately going to your, your phone and checking the emails of what has he over the course of the night required of me today. Or it's the client, the prospective customer that you just can't wait to see, like, did, did it actually work out? Or maybe it's something else altogether. Maybe it's the Instagram influencer that you live vicariously through. Like, you can't wait to wake up in the morning and immediately go to social media because you just want to see what could life be like if I was that person. Whose voice gets pole position in your head? Whose voice, whose words are so important that they are prioritized the moment you wake up and roll out of bed? Whose voice is so important that they get first in your day? Now, not just because I'm a pastor and because I'm preaching from up front, I'm, I'm, I'm going to commend that God be the first word, that God get the first word in your day. And the reason that I'm going to commend that to you is because exactly what David walks through with us there is a God who is a creator and the sustainer of everything that moves and has its being everything and he cares enough about you to be your rock to be the place in which you can hide he cares enough about you to rescue you to deliver you to be your help in time of need he cares so deeply about you right there in that seat that he wants to be your fortress your lasting hope all your days that's who God is. And you're going to give somebody else the first word of your day? Who else is more important than him? And so the, the invitation at the onset is to be a people who wait in silence, who remember what God has said about himself, about it all, because he ought to come first. Will you start each day remembering who he is and what he has said, what is true. Because if you do, you will have ammunition for the rest of your day. The sort of ammunition where you can start to feel like, okay, I've got a grip on what is real and what is right, on what is true and what is good, because I have remembered who my God is and what he has spoken to me. There is ammunition to be had if you do that each morning. And the reason why that's so significant is because David, like us, has a litany of things that will try to wreck your day, that will try to detract you from staying in that place of, ah, I love remembering who God is. That sounds so ideal each day to start that way. Look with me in the text. In verse 3, immediately after David remembers who his God is, he says these words, How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence, Oh, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Immediately, David gets out of bed, away from this original position of giving God the first word, and he's met with the troubles of the day, and they're everywhere. And the question he asks is a question that you and I are accustomed to asking. Well, how long? Why does this keep happening? How long will you be that person, that thorn in my side? How long will... How long will your kids stop just keep just disrespecting you day in and day out, never listening to words you have to say? How long will your spouse not care for you in the ways you want to be cared for? How long will your coworkers be so annoying and so unproductive? And how long will your days be marked by 
(sighs) You being pressed and you being stretched. Those are the words that David is trying to implore unto us. When he talks about a leaning wall, he's talking about a tent that's being stretched beyond its ability. When he talks about a tottering fence, he's talking about something that is where the people are finding a weak spot in the defenses and they're all jumping on it, leaning against it. It's pressing you where you're weakest. What he is experiencing right now is that his circumstances are attacking him in the very places where he feels like, no, 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 don't do that again. I've been fending that off for so many days, for so many months, for so many years. Why would you attack me there? How long will this go on? And if you and I are not careful, your inner voice, the voice between your ears, will tell you that you are a victim to all of your circumstances every day. Your inner voice will be the voice of victimization. Woe is me. Woe is me because other people don't have to deal with this like I do. Woe is me because they don't have the spouse that I have to deal with. They don't have the kids that I've got to deal with. They don't have the trouble that I'm dealing with. Woe is me and all my circumstances that are so, so hard. If we are not careful, you and I will be a people whose constant internal dialogue is, how long? How long will this be the case? Your inner voice will begin to point the finger. They, them, those people, they're, they're bad. They're the reason why. They're the ones to blame. We will all go down this terrible spiral of listening to the voice of victimization because it's your voice. It's your inner voice inside your head. And what I need to tell you today is that there is a different response. There is something different to do an invitation that this psalm is going to provide us. Instead of spiraling down that pit, here's what David does. Here's what the passage is going to invite us to. Look with me in verse 5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there because you, you would read that and think he's just repeating himself. Said it twice. And yet there's something really specific, something nuanced here that we need to pay attention to this morning. Verse 1, David starts off, For God alone my soul waits in silence. He is saying a biblical truth. God has said it. God has advised it to me. For God alone my soul waits in silence. What does he do in verse 5? After he surveys the landscape of all of his trouble, of all of his terrible circumstances. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. He's talking to himself. This is a peer into his inner voice. This is the voice inside of David's head, and he's telling his soul, wait for God alone in silence. He goes on, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Does it sound similar? Does it sound like he's repeating himself? It's because his voice, his inner voice, now eerily sounds so much like God's voice because he has chosen each morning, each day, God gets the first word. I will remember what he says is real, what he says is true, what he says is good, what he says is right, and then in the midst of the heat of my troubling circumstance, I will rehearse it over my story. I will rehearse it over my day. It'll be self-talk that I prescribe. I will shift the internal dialogue from a voice of victimization to the voice that sounds so much like God's voice, wait in silence, O oh my soul, for God and for God alone. He's my hope. He's my help. 
Now, this is the moment that every preacher fears in a sermon where I get to see all of your faces, which you look great, by the way. And a handful of you are incredibly nice and encouraging. And so as I say these things, you give me like a subtle, good, I believe that. Like you give me like a, like a gentle nod that's quite affirming. So I, I'm saying all that because I, I need that. I keep doing that. But what I'm really trying to say is the danger is we treat general truths like this all the time with kind of like a, you know, proverbial, like, okay, that's good. I believe that. And then you will wake up tomorrow and you won't do what we just talked about. We treat truths like this this way all the time. So for instance, I think we would all do the, you know, kind of the proverbial, yeah, okay, that's, that's right. I believe that. When, when somebody tells you, you should probably stretch, my friend, stretch before you do something physically demanding. Just think about it. Think about it some more. Stretch before you do something physically demanding. I mean, since I was a little boy playing team sports, right, like you would all get in this circle, like, okay, we're going to stretch like this, and you roll your eyes at it. Who really needs to stretch at that age? (laughs) Truly. And so you assume that all the days of your life until, of course, you should have stretched. That old fateful day, right? So this happened to me 12 years ago. 12 years ago, I was late to a basketball game. I'm running in. My body doesn't feel all that great. But I'm like, you know what? It's okay. Just like, just like yesterday. We're going right back at it. I get on. Strap up the shoes. First play of the game, 10 seconds in. I get the ball, and I'm just going to do what I always do. I'm going to blow by this guy, score on this guy. It's going to be totally great. Let me tell you what happens. On this old faithful day 12 years ago, I take one step, 10 seconds into the game, and then I begin to fall down. And as I'm falling, I turn around because somebody kicked me. I don't know who, but somebody kicked me. So as I'm falling, I'm turning around. Nobody's there. No one kicked me. (laughs) There's no one there. Uh, I tore my Achilles that day. And believe you me, ever since that fateful day, I have been stretching and stretching some more, right? Like before I I go weed in my backyard, I'm stretching, (laughs) right? Like I'm doing, I'm I'm going, I'm like, okay, yep, got to do it. Got to make it happen. I'm stretching after. Oh, I'm stretching during. Like halfway through, I need a breather to stretch. Because now I'm convinced I can't just, you know, okay, stretch. I can't do that anymore. I've experienced something. There has been that fateful day in my story where, no, 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 you better stretch. Do it. It's kind of a warning to all of you in this room. Uh, And yet, what you and I are so prone to doing, and you're going to do it again today if we're not careful, you will nod at everything I just said. Yeah, God, God is important. He should probably get the first word each day. Instead of looking at my phone, scrolling through it, instead of giving anybody else's voice the primary pole position of my morning, it should probably be him. You will nod, and you will not do it tomorrow. And the warning here is, there is a fateful day coming where you need God to be your rock, where you need him in the heat of your circumstances to be your hiding place where you need him to be a fortress and a deliverer, and yet you have not remembered his voice. You have not recalled it to mind. You have not given him that position in your days, and so you can't rehearse it. Your inner voice is dictated by something else. It's been influenced and informed. It's been shaped and it's been wired, and it's some other voice that doesn't sound anything like God's, and it's shaping you. There will come a fateful day where rubber will hit the road, 
And my plea to you is don't be like me. Don't tear an Achilles to finally feel like you need to stop nodding at this general truth. There is a biblical truth that must become a personal resolution to you today. God deserves the first word. Remember what he says so that you can rehearse it over your days. That's what it means to wait in silence. Like we assume waiting on God is some passive activity where we just, we just kind of like, okay, I guess I'll just keep waiting until and count the minutes that go by. Waiting in silence for God and God alone is remembering who he is and what he has said so that throughout the day you can rehearse what is true over yourself. And it's your voice, your inner voice that speaks and whispers to you all the day long. Will you allow your inner voice to sound eerily similar to God's? so that we can be a people who are stopped playing victim to all of our circumstances. Can we agree that that's the sort of ammunition we want to have stored up in our hearts so that we can deploy it when it's actually needed? Can we agree that we need to be a people that just stop generally nodding at things that are true? So stop that. The point. Um... The beauty of just that rhythm, remembering and rehearsing, just that simple cadence, the beauty of it is it doesn't just have to deal with the small little battles of your day. It doesn't just apply to the little moments of frustration, the difficult circumstance that is currently just robbing you of all of your thoughts right now. It actually goes beyond that. Look with me in the text. In verse 7, after David has remembered what God said, rehearsed it over his days, verse 7, he can't help himself. He keeps going. On God rests my salvation and my glory. On his broad and strong shoulders, he can hold it all when I cannot. He is my mighty rock. My refuge is God. And then in verse 8, what he has personally committed to, what he has resolved internally, the dialogue going on inside between his ears, he can't help himself. It becomes a public declaration for anybody else to hear. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. What he has been convicted of in the secret, quiet place, waiting in silence for God and God alone, now becomes a public declaration for anybody that can listen. He's worthy of your trust. Believe me. He is a refuge for you. Pour out your heart to him. And I love that in verse 9, what begins to take shape here is that David, with this newfound inner voice, with this new perspective over his circumstances, he, he all of a sudden is looking around and seeing more ground to gain, more strongholds to upend in his story and in his heart. Verse 9, he says, Those of low estate are but a breath, those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they both go up. They are together, lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. So what's happening here? What's happening is that David, with his newfound inner voice that he can apply anywhere and everywhere throughout his days and all of his difficult circumstances, he's now getting to realize, wow, I'm starting to see in my heart there are other spaces and places where my inner voice has betrayed me. My inner voice has convinced me that if I'm going to work through all the places that those people are to blame, that that person has assaulted me or harmed me or wronged me, that I can respond with violence 
that I should probably amass more and more things so that I can silence those people or protect myself from those people. All the ways that your inner voice has betrayed you and affected your actions day by day, David gets to take a step back and realize, oh, there's so many more areas where I need to remember God's voice and I need to rehearse it over my days. There are other strongholds to upend, other areas and arenas for you to work on, for your inner voice has betrayed you, friends, in places that the person sitting right next to you has no idea about. It's just you, and yet it affects you every single day. Your inner voice is driving how you feel, how you act, how you respond, and the person that means the most to you in this world just receives the effects of your inner voice. And what can happen if we experience this subtle cadence, this profound victory over the daily battles of our, of our story, other strongholds can begin to be identified and toppled. The word that David uses to describe those of low estate and those of high estate, riches of this world, he uses a word, it's translated breath in the passage, it's the word hevel. In Hebrew. If you were with us when we studied the book of Ecclesiastes, hevel is a term that means vapor. It, it essentially highlights the fact that it's here today, gone tomorrow. David has this profound, reshaped perspective that everything he thought he should go after, everything he thought would be his security, he's making a confession here. He has set vain hope. He has put so much value on things that are here today and gone tomorrow. He thought in his head, with his inner voice about extorting those people that have wronged him. He has had the thought from his inner voice to go after those that have assaulted him. And he's realizing right now that when his inner voice sounds a lot like God's, there are so many areas and arenas to continue to gain victory and ground over. And so I, I need you guys to hear that I don't want you to hear that there is a preacher up on stage, a pastor from my community who keeps telling me to like read my Bible in the morning and pray when I wake up. What I'm asking you to do is gain ground in the very moments scattered throughout your day where you are listening to a voice and it's betraying you. Because if you make a subtle shift to remember his voice and rehearse it over your days, something dramatically will change. Something drastic can shift. You can experience victory over the places you've assumed you cannot, never will if you make this transition, if you receive this invitation and stop nodding your head at it. I like David. I appreciate him a lot. I love that even at the end of this psalm, he provides us with like a, like a summary statement of everything we've just been through. It doesn't always happen in the psalms, but I love it when it does. In verse 11, in verse 11 it reads this, once God has spoken. Twice have I heard this. The power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. What is David saying here? He's in essence saying, hey, I began the psalm one time. God spoke it to me. One time I remembered who he is and what he said. One time I prioritized his voice above all others. One time he spoke and I listened but twice I heard it. What's that mean? The second time was him. 
The second time was the voice that has now been reshaped by God's voice. It's his inner voice. It's exactly what happened in verse 5. He's taken what is biblically true, a biblical absolute, and he made it personal to him. Will you make it personal to you? Will you be the sort of person where all of a sudden your inner voice sounds so much like God's? Once, once God has spoken, but twice you've heard it, and three times, and four times, and five times throughout your day, you hear it on repeat, on rinse and repeat, because you've remembered God's voice, and you're rehearsing it all throughout the day. So David, for us, summarizes exactly what he's inviting us into. Wait on God and God alone in silence. Wage war for your inner voice. Secure ground there. Experience victory there. Power and steadfast love belong to our God. Now that feels like a great place to end the song. Well done, David. Intro, body, conclusion, you killed it. But that's not how the psalm ends. There's one more phrase he tacks on. And commentators have been confused by this. They're like, it just feels like this was borrowed from some other psalm. It feels as though we don't know exactly what David's trying to do, but this is how the psalm ends. It should have just ended with steadfast love, honestly. It's a great place to end. But he says this, For you will render to a man according to his work. For you will render to a man according to his work. It begs the question, why? David, it, you, you ended on a really great note there. Why add this extra phrase? And so in studying it, I love David. He is like a literary genius. The phrase he uses at the end of this, at the end of this verse, according to his work, is a phrase that is one word, and it's typically described as like one's workmanship. And this particular word is used two other times in the scriptures. Just two. Both times in the book of Exodus. Exodus 29 and Exodus 38. Both times referencing the priestly garments. The, the, the clothing that the priests will wear when they go into the temple. Okay, David, like, why are, you, why are you giving us a throwback to a word that is only ever used to describe precisely how the priestly garments should be stitched, what color they should be, what should be woven on them? You see, the phrase that permeates throughout all of that portion of the book of Exodus is, as the Lord commanded, as the Lord commanded, As the Lord said, when I was with you on the mountaintop, exactly how I said it, do it exactly that way. That that echoes throughout all of these chapters. And so when when the people are trying to make the priestly garments, you almost feel the pressure for them, right? Like, okay, like I made lots of clothing before, but you're telling me, okay, like God said exactly pomegranates here and this color there, like I got to stitch it, right? You can imagine that for those making the garments, they're asking, "Say, say it one more time, exactly what did God say? Okay, and they're rehearsing it over themselves again and again and again. It's a word to make sure that we know it better be so close to what God said. It better be precise, as the Lord commanded. And so I love that David ends with this. God will return to a man, to a woman. He will reciprocate to a man, to a woman. He will reward a man or a woman according to how precise you listen to his voice, rehearse it over yourself, and do exactly as he said. That's what he's trying to get us to at the end of the psalm. So as you can tell, I've been excited about this passage over the course of this week. 
It just feels like there's so much to unpack, so much to explore, and yet the invitation is simple, friends. There's one. Will you today decide to stop proverbially nodding your head at things that are generally true, and will you take a biblical absolute and make it personal for you? Will you actually today stop hearing things that are true, believing you should probably do it in the morning, probably do it starting tomorrow, and actually do it? Will you be a man or a woman who waits in silence for God and God alone? Will you wage war for your inner voice because it's speaking to you all the day long? It is affecting you in ways that you don't even know. In conclusion, I I just want to highlight the fact that this is an invitation that, that is supported by Jesus himself. There is a passage that, that many of you have probably heard before in Matthew 16, where Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Who do the people say that I am? What are the people whispering about when they talk about me? And the disciples say, well, Jesus, some say you're a prophet. This prophet, that prophet. Some say like you're you're a teacher, a rabbi. Like people are saying lots of things, Jesus. And then he looks at his disciples, people he has been investing in and loving, and he says, who do you say that I am? And then Peter, because Peter can't help but talk, Peter immediately says, you are the Christ. He tells Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the deliverer. You are the Messiah. You are the one we've been waiting for. You are the one who who saves those who need saving. You are the Christ. And then he says, you are the son of the living God. You're exactly who you say that you are. And what does Jesus do in response? Jesus looks back at his really talkative friend and he says, blessed are you. Blessed are you, Peter, Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. The voices you listen to, all the great sermons you podcast, all the wonderful books you read, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You know who did? My Father in heaven revealed this to you. He spoke it to you. Blessed are you, for my Father has spoken this over you. And then he looks at Peter and says, on that confession, on that rock, that declaration of hope you just made, the gates of hell will not stand against it. No stronghold, no fortress of the enemy, nothing will prevail against that when God speaks and you rehearse it and you own it. No gate of hell, no stronghold of Satan can prevail against it. Friends, this is the invitation. If you are in Jesus today, if you are in Christ, you have been given a word. You have been a recipient of God's voice over your days and for all time. He is is the Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, the fact that he's coming again for you, he is the one who has secured it. He is your deliverer. He is your rock and your refuge. He has done it. He is who he says that he is, the son of the living God. And when that word is something that God the Father speaks over you and you remember it and you rehearse it all your days, guess what? No gate of hell, no stronghold of Satan can stand. Nothing in your inner voice that has robbed you of life and vitality has betrayed how you respond to your circumstances. Nothing, nothing can stand against that. So the invitation this morning is this, friends, 
wait on him for him and him only in the silent place because when you are quiet and still before this God, when you hear his voice and remember what he says and when you can rehearse that truth over all your days, guess what? There's victory after victory to be experienced. There are strongholds over your days, over your story, that you are being robbed of flourishing and vitality that God is saying, no, no, there's, there's something else for you this day. Just wait. Wait on him and him alone. Amen? Let me pray for us. So Jesus, we thank you this day that you have done it. Every hope laced throughout this psalm, every declaration of longing and the desire to make sure that that our hope would last through the ages, God, that, that David, even David, was speaking, longing for the day that you would secure all of these truths about you, and yet we are in a privileged position this day. On the other side of the cross, we get to look back and say, Jesus, you truly are. You truly are our rock, our hiding place. You are the one who has delivered us. You are our fortress for all of eternity. God, you have done it. And so, God, I just pray that we would be the sorts of people who are so willing to wait in the secret place, to long for your voice above every other, that all of a sudden we experience it rippling through every hard moment, every difficult day. God, please, Let us be a people who respond to your word in the way that we should, that we would be the sorts of people who hear and listen and obey. God, please, empower us by your spirit to do just that. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.